welcome to First Church. We're so glad everybody's with us today. If you're in the room with me right now, would you welcome in our online community? Glad to have you with us as well. Over the last several weeks, we've been in this series called Big Dreams, talking about Nehemiah, walking through uh, the book of Nehemiah, and really it's kind of Nehemiah's journal and all that he uh, got to accomplish, all that he got to experience in the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. We hope that you've been a part of, of every week of this. If you've missed any of them, be sure to catch up with where we've been and uh, catch those online. But last week, we talked about uh, moving from uh, fear to faith when, when Nehemiah went from being the cupbearer of the king to a general contractor. I mean, that was a pretty big uh, vocational move. And maybe you're one who uh, you, you felt like you're stuck in your job or stuck in your career path. Nehemiah gives you hope, all right? Uh, there could be something else for you out there. Maybe God's wanting to lead you into, and uh, because that's exactly what he did for Nehemiah at this time of, of his life. And so uh, at this point, Nehemiah has uh, got the blessing of the king. He's heading back to his, his uh, motherland, a place where he has not been, to a people he uh, does not know, and most, uh, most of them don't know him. And uh, we do know in, uh, in verses in chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, that, that he does run into some opposition uh, on his way to Jerusalem. But he's on his way to go carry out the mission, the vision, this big dream that God has given to him. Now, Whenever I begin to see this part of his story, it reminds me of a show that I uh, started watching here recently. I don't know if you've ran across this show called Undercover Billionaire. Billionaire with a B, all right? Uh, the premise of the show is they, they take this person who uh, has assets of at least a billion dollars and they take them, put them in a city that they haven't been to, that they don't know anyone, and they give them $100 in a vehicle, and usually it's a pretty beaten down vehicle. vehicle. And, uh, and their goal is, is that within 90 days, they have to take that $100 and turn it into a million-dollar business. Yeah, and, and so it's, it's kind of intrigued me. I've watched several episodes of it and everything. But when, when these people go into these cities, every one of them have some very similar concerns on their minds. Are the people here going to trust me? Are the people here going to buy into my vision of this business that we want to, to do? Are we going to have the resources necessary to be able to pull this off, to pull this together? And so... You see them go into these cities and, and begin to network and build. From day one, they are meeting people, networking with people, trying to find the movers and shakers and the leaders of the communities. Those people who they know can come alongside of them and help them in leading this, making this big vision happen. I think when Nehemiah steps into Jerusalem, he has a lot of those same concerns. Are these people going to trust me? Will these people grab hold of this big vision, big dream that God has given me? Are we going to have all the resources necessary to rebuild these walls and to get these gates back up and to reestablish God's city, Jerusalem? Is this all going to really come together? I think he has some very similar concerns as he comes back, goes to Jerusalem. Nehemiah chapter 2 is where we're going to be at. We're going to start over in verse 11 as we look back into Nehemiah's journal entry here. And in verse 11, he simply says this, So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. 
A lot of detail he gives us here, all right? I, I, you know, I really think Nehemiah journals like I journal, all right? I, I'm terrible at journaling, and I leave out so many details. And that seems to be what, what Nehemiah does here, so I went to Jerusalem. It was about an eight to 900-mile journey from Susa to Jerusalem. Do you think some things may have happened on the way to Jerusalem? Probably. It would be like me saying, uh, back in 2009, I went to Yellowstone. I'm leaving out a few details. Like I was with my family, we had four blowouts, we blew a transmission, our entire family hitchhiked with a lady named Tina and her dog, and we had to uh, get a truck uh, swapped out so we could finish our trip, thanks to a lot of family and friends that came together and made it happen. (sighs) But I went to Yellowstone. (laughs) And so Nehemiah, he gives us his journal entry, so I went to Jerusalem. The important thing is he made it to Jerusalem. He did get there. And he was there for three days. Now, again, he leaves out some details. What did he do for these three days? He doesn't tell us. But I think I know what he was doing those three days. He was preparing. He was preparing. I I think that, number one, because that's what he's been doing all along. If you go back to the beginning, whenever he first got his vision of what God wanted him to do with the walls of Jerusalem, whenever his brother and others came and told him the, the state of the city, He began to prepare. He began to plan. He was praying and fasting and and already at work and trying to figure out how we're going to make this happen. He knew he needed to get letters to be able to get safe passage and and, uh, to get the lumber and all the supplies that were going to be necessary. He was planning. He was preparing from day one. And so these three days, I have to think he was preparing. I think he was probably preparing by just physically resting. I mean, if it was an eight or 900-mile journey, you know he's wore out. He's got to get some rest. But number two, like you see on Undercover Billionaire, he's probably day one starting to network, starting to meet people, trying to figure out who are the people who are going to be able to come alongside of me, who have a heart for God and God's vision to help us accomplish what God has put in front of us. He's preparing. He's preparing for the tasks that God has, has given to him. Now, I want to pause here in just a second and just give another little glimpse into Nehemiah and his life. Nehemiah is known to be a great leader. I believe Chad's probably referenced to that a little bit. There have been courses written about Nehemiah and his leadership characteristics. There have been books upon books written about Nehemiah and his leadership characteristics. He's one of the greatest leaders that have ever lived. And so as we walk through this book of Nehemiah and his journals, we can pull out different leadership principles that I believe that we can apply to our lives, each one of us as leaders. And so I, I want us to walk through here and just, I want to highlight just a couple. No, no, no. Also, I, I, let me say this. I know as I say that and say, hey, I want to point out some leadership principles, some of you are going, well, I'm not a leader. <laughs> really? <laughs> you really think nobody looks up to you? Uh, it may be employees, it may be a team, it may be some volunteers, or it may be your kids, or it may be your grandkids, or it may be a neighbor, or it may be somebody you don't even know who just admires you. And they watch you. And boom, you're a leader. Every one of us, we have leadership opportunities in our lives. And so these are applicable to every one of us. All right? So leadership principle number one that I see in here is great leaders prepare for success rather than worry about failure. Great leaders prepare for success 
rather than worry about failure. What you don't see Nehemiah writing about is all his worry, all his concerns about what it's going to take to, to carry out the vision, the big dream that God's given to him. Instead, what you see him to do is stepping into the vision and doing whatever it takes to prepare for what it's going to take to accomplish it. Preparation. And so that's what we need to be about as we walk through life, as we do all that we do and go all everywhere we go, are we preparing? Are we preparing ourselves for our day? Are we getting up in the morning and looking at our day and just going, all right, God, I'm prepared. I want to start with you. I want to end with you. What do you have for me today? Okay, God, how are you going to resource me today? Okay, God, how, what opportunities are you going to give me today? And we walk into the day prepared to face whatever God might bring our way, whatever life might bring our way. We need to be a prepared people. And that's what we see in Nehemiah. I also think Nehemiah is, has this mind of preparation because of what we see next in the text. If you keep on going in the text, look at verse 12 and following. And here's what he does next, what he shares with us in his journal. He says, Then I arose in the night. I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me, but one on which I rode. Now, that whole part there, we're going to come back to that here in just a second, but hold on to that. Verse 13, I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate. Yeah, dung gate, that's the word, dung. You know what goes out that gate. And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem and were bro that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up, to the, uh, up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. What's Nehemiah do? He's preparing. He's examining the walls. He wants to get his eyes on the walls himself. He wants to see what's going on. And so he goes and he makes a trek around the city at night to see what he has to deal with. What do they have to work with as they set out on this vision, this big dream that God has given to him? I mean, anybody who is uh, going out to build something, to start something, there's, there's that examination that has to happen. We have to figure out what do we have to work with? What's our foundation look like? Uh, almost every year, our senior hires take a trip to Mexico, Cunha, Mexico. Matter of fact, we got a team that's getting ready to head out in spring break here just a, a couple of months from now. And uh, we go down and we build houses for, for those in need in Acuna. And the first thing that we do whenever we arrive on site is we begin to inspect the site. Now, normally we've already had uh, uh, pictures of the site or, and even videos of the site, but until you have boots on the ground and you can see it and you can measure it and you can check level of it, you don't really know what you have to work with. We've shown, we've, we've shown up before and found our site was actually right on the side of a ravine, and so you've got to figure out how are we going to build this wall with about a foot to stand on. We've, we've arrived on the site three years ago. We arrived on site, and we had 17 inches between our wall and the wall of a building right next to us. Tried to swing a hammer with 17 inches. Here's a picture of my wife, Steph, and, and uh, Sayla Aberly, and uh, they're stuccoing. They've got about a two-foot spot there to, to do stucco. We sometimes find we've got some pretty tight quarters or some interesting circumstances to work with when we show up to build houses. And so Nehemiah, I think likewise, he is riding around the city 
making a trek around the cedar to see what do we have to work with? What's it going to take to rebuild these walls? He's preparing, doing whatever it takes to build these walls. Now, one could look at all these things and think, man, this is a huge task. How are we going to make this happen? But Nehemiah had captured God's vision for rebuilding the wall. He had captured what God was wanting him to do. He was obedient to the what of God before he knew the how, before God would give him the how. Listen to this. If we listen to what God wants us to do, I believe he'll show us how to do it. Hear that? If we'll listen to what God wants us to do, where he wants us to go, the vision that he wants us to accomplish, if we'll hold on to that and continue to pursue him and do all we can in our preparation, in the midst of that preparation, in the midst of that pressing on and pushing forward and trusting God, the how will come through. I've seen it all so many times around this place and in many other avenues. And that's what Nehemiah experiences as he continues to prepare for what God has given him. He, he understands the what, and it's a big what. <laughs> We're going to rebuild these walls, and it's going to be a big task. And now he continues to trust God for the how. Let me ask you this. What is your what? <laughs> What's your what? What's God calling you to do in your life? What's he calling you to rebuild? What's he calling you to start? Now, I, l- let me... Let me pause here for just a second because we have to be careful in this when we start talking about what God wants wants us to do because sometimes uh, some of us get an idea that that anytime an idea pops in our mind, oh, God must be in this. Well, 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 hold on. (laughs) Just because it's a great idea that popped up in your prayer time doesn't mean God's in it. All right. We've got to test it. Does it line up with God's word? Does it line up where God's leading? As you talk to others who are spiritually minded, or, or, or does it all line up? But once you figure out the what, yes, I know this is what God's calling me to do, then, then we press on and we trust God in the how. What's God wanting to do in your life? Maybe, maybe there's a relationship that needs to be rebuilt or a reputation that needs to be rebuilt or, or a marriage that needs to be rebuilt or maybe a career that needs to be rebuilt. What is God wanting to do in your life. Maybe, maybe your what is a little bit more internal inside of you, and, and like Nehemiah is examining the broken walls of Jerusalem, you know you've got a broken spirit inside of you, and you've got a life that is broken by sin that you've never dealt with, and it's still there, and it still hurts, and you know that you have no hope and no joy in your life because you've never given your life to Jesus, and God's got a Great, big, big dream for you if you'll recognize your brokenness and take that step and discover the how in Jesus. Like Nehemiah, every one of us need to do a careful examination of our lives, to examine the brokenness, to examine and be real about what we're dealing with in our lives. 
So let's keep on rolling here. After Nehemiah examines the city, uh, we see him to, a be, to begin to initiate the plan. All the preparation, all the planning has been taking place. And now we come to verse 12 and he is ready to, to step into it. He wasn't overwhelmed. He wasn't fearful of failing. He doesn't write anything about that. He just begins to step into what God has led him to do in the rebuilding of the wall. And so notice Notice, let's back up just a little bit here. Notice at this point, nobody knows what's happening. Go to verse 12 again. Remember I said we'd come back to this. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. And he goes on. There was no animal with me but the one who which, on which I rode. Why does he even say that? Number one, he hasn't told anybody about what's happening. And when he goes to examine the walls, he was the only one that was riding an animal, a donkey, a horse, whatever it was that he was riding. He was the only one. Why? Because he wouldn't, didn't want to draw attention to what they were doing that night. If they were all riding through the city, around the city, you know people would notice and hear the hoof uh, stomping and go, what is going on? What's this new guy Nehemiah doing here in Jerusalem? Man, they're making a ruckus, you know. Uh, yeah, I said ruckus. That's Anyway, uh, so... He's not wanting to draw attention to himself because he knows the time's not right to communicate what God is doing. Go on to verse 16. He goes on, he says, And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Nehemiah lists all these people. Many of those who he lists are those who would probably be leading a lot of the work projects. They were some of the ones who would be doing some of the work projects. And he hadn't told any of them what was going on, why he was there. I'm sure there were questions swirling why this Nehemiah guy showed up with some of the army of the king. But whatever the case, he hasn't told them why he is there yet. Because the time wasn't right until now. Leadership principle. Great leaders understand timing when it comes to communication. Great leaders understand timing when it comes to communication. Nehemiah does not show up on day one and say, all right, I'm here, I'm Nehemiah, I'm from the king, and we're going to rebuild this city. Let's go. It's not what he does. He comes in, and he prepares quietly, getting the lay of the land, networking, connecting, getting everybody in place and everything in place until he knows the time is right. If you communicate too early, sometimes the people have not bought into your leadership. They don't trust you yet. You communicate too early, they may not be ready to buy into your vision. If you communicate too late, you may have missed out on the opportune moment, the excitement of the moment, the energy and the synergy that sometimes begin to develop. Great leaders know that timing is important when it comes to communicating. And so Nehemiah understands that and he shows us that in this. And that, that speaks to, uh, again, going back to leadership. If you're leading employees, if you're leading volunteers, if you're a parent, let me ask you this. How many of you parents have planned a vacation? Let's say you're going to Disneyland, and you waited till the day of to tell your kids. 
Yeah, I see it happen all the time on Facebook and social media. It pops up. We surprised the kids today. We're boarding the plane. We're heading to Disney. Why? Because you didn't want to be questioned to death for the you know, three weeks leading up to it. Is today the day we're going to Disney? No, it's three weeks. It's two weeks. You know, no, you wait. Timing is everything. Nehemiah gets that. Nehemiah understands that and exemplifies that for us. So he is waiting for the right time. Verse 17 is the right time. He begins to roll out for us how he communicated the vision when he says this. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision, reproach. Now, as we walk through this, we're going to spend some time, verse 17 here, just a moment here, because there's a lot packed into this verse. And first thing I want you to see is how he communicates in this verse. I want you to look at it again with me. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. I mean, Nehemiah just showed up. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's the new guy. But he's already saying, hey, we're in this trouble together. Come let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer. What's he doing? He's connecting. He's connecting. He shows that he cares for them and he's connecting with them on a very personal basis as a leader. Leadership principle. Great leaders have the humility to care for and connect with those they lead. Maybe you've worked with under an employer or served alongside somebody who put themselves on a pedestal because they thought they were the leader, they were the king, you got to do what I tell you to do. That is no fun to work for somebody like that, right? Great leaders have the humility, and it takes humility to care for and connect with those that they lead. Those are the kind of leaders we like to follow. Nehemiah, again, keep on rolling here. Nehemiah didn't sugarcoat the reality if we keep on going in the text. Look what he says again, verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the trouble that we are in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Now, he's not laying anything out here that they wouldn't know. But here's the thing. They have been in ruins for close to 150 years. And many of the people there, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, had just become comfortable with the brokenness of the city. They're okay with it. They're okay with being the laughingstock of neighboring nations. Because none of them have done anything about it. And so Nehemiah quite bluntly says... Here's where we're at, city. The walls are broken down and the gates are broken and burned. That's the state of the city right now. Open your eyes up to the reality of what we are facing. Leadership principle. Great leaders clarify the problem even when it hurts. Even when the truth hurts, great leaders are willing to step in and say, here's what's going on. If it's in an organization, you need those people who can be honest. And when everything's even going good, they're honest enough to go, well, hey, but we really need to be concerned about A, B, and D. 
You need somebody in your life who's willing to step in and even when it hurts, tell you the reality of what they're seeing in your life and maybe some brokenness that they recognize inside of you. Do you have those type of people around you who can speak into you? Nehemiah clarified the problem. Here's what we're dealing with. This is not anything simple, city. This isn't anything that we just ought to get along with and just keep on going. We know our city's broken down. We know everybody's laughing at us. Jerusalem, the city of God, who can't defend itself. He says, no, this is something that is a problem that we have to deal with. Have you become comfortable with your own brokenness? Think about that. we look at our own lives, we're not talking about walls and gates. We're, we're talking about sin. We're talking about struggles that we have inside of us. Have you just become comfortable with your sin? Ah, my sin's okay because nobody else knows about it. Yeah, I know I've got anger issues. Yeah, I know I've got a drinking problem, but, you know, it doesn't hurt anybody. I know I deal with anxiety, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. We've got to admit it. We've got to see it, and we've got to admit it, and we, then we can begin to take steps towards rebuilding it, starting over, going to God to help us with that. I like this statement, for God to rebuild our brokenness, it takes owning the reality of our brokenness. It really starts there. We have to own it. We have to be real about it like Nehemiah was real about it. We have to own it in ourselves if, God, if we're going to ever go to God to get the help that we need. Have you dealt with your brokenness? Nehemiah keeps on going. Go, let's, again, let's go back to verse 17 as he uh, continues to help them to see what, what our future holds. And when he says this, let us build the walls, let's build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision, that we may no longer, some versions say, be a reproach, that we may no longer be a laughingstock. He begins to lead the people to see what their city could be. Leadership principle, here we go. Great leaders give a clear vision to a better future. Great leaders give a clear vision to a better future. And that's what Nehemiah is doing here. Yes, the walls are broken down, the gates are broken down, but if we get busy and we build these walls back up, we can restore the city of God. And we will no longer be a laughingstock. We can be a city that once again we can be proud of. A city that gives honor not only to ourselves, but even more importantly to our God. So Nehemiah lays out this vision of rebuilding the walls. Now, you go into verse 18, and, and Nehemiah, now that he's laid out the vision, here's what we're going to do, here's the problem, here's the solution, here's the outcome, if we'll get, all, get busy and make this happen. And then you come to verse 18, and then he begins to lay out, okay, and here's why I'm confident that we can do this, Okay? Here's why I'm confident that we can pull off this task that God has given to me and given to us. Look at verse 18. And I told them, okay, still talking to the people, the leaders of the community. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. And also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, the people, this is what the people said back to Nehemiah. And they said, let us rise up and build so they strengthen their hands for the good work. 
Nehemiah says, hey, I'm confident because God is in this. God is moving in this. I have seen God moving in my life. He put me at the right place. He brought that message from my brother and others at the right time. And then on top of that, when I went to the king, the king didn't kill me. <laughs> that was pretty good. Matter of fact, not only did he not kill me, he instead said that he was for it and he would resource it. That's how I really knew God was in this thing. And so he tells the people, God is in this. We can do it. Leadership principle. Great leaders know how to motivate those they lead. Great leaders know how to motivate those they lead. Nehemiah knows he's talking to the people of God. And many of them have broken spirits. And that may have been worse than the broken walls and the broken gates is the broken spirits that the people had. They felt forgotten by their God. And he comes in and he says, Oh, you're not forgotten. God is in this. God desires to rebuild this great city. And he's going to use us to do it. And he motivates them in such a way that they buy in to the vision. And then you have the response of the people. What do they say? I told them all that God was doing, all that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. And it wasn't just lip service, Nehemiah points out. And so they strengthened their hands and got ready for work. In the next several chapters, we're going to talk about, we're going to look at all the things that they did and all the ways that all the planning that Nehemiah did and all the ways that it comes together, we're going to see how the people get to work and how it all plays out. But he motivates them, and they are inspired to get busy and get to work. Nehemiah's passion spilled over onto the people. Listen, I, I believe this statement here. Living out God's dream for our life inspires others to seek his dream for their lives. When we as followers of Jesus live out the life that Jesus has called us to live, especially in our times of brokenness and hardship, how we walk that part of our journey, the hard times of our journey, if we're able to hold on to hope and joy in the midst of those hard times in our journey, People see it, and they are inspired by it. Matter of fact, they want to know why we're able to be joyful in the midst of hardship and trials that we face in our life. I shared that with a family here recently. I was doing the funeral of, of, some, uh, of a loved one, and, and I just shared that with them. Hey, it's in a moment like this that people see your joy as believers and want to know why. Because it inspires them. And they see, hey, if you can press on in a moment like that, I want to have that too. I want to have that joy. I want to have that hope. And that's what the people find in Nehemiah, and they jump on board and say, let's, let's get busy. Let's get to building the walls. Nehemiah stepped into this city, a city where he didn't know anybody, and he didn't really understand all, the full scope of what he had to deal with, but he came in with a dream, with a big dream of God. And the people said, let's get busy. This past week, we just celebrated somebody, a great man who came onto the scene with a dream. 
Martin Luther King Jr. He came with a vision of what this world could be if we would grab hold of love instead of hate. Really, it was the message of Jesus, and it's a message that continues to resonate today in our culture, in our world, in the brokenness. Love over hate. Nehemiah stepped into a city that was broken, broken walls, broken gates, broken spirits. And he says, I have a dream. I have a dream of what this city can be once again. And the people jumped on board and said, let's get busy. It's because Nehemiah was willing to take the initiative. From day one, he heard the vision of God, what God laid on his heart, and he took initiative to do something about it. How many times have we felt led to do something, prodded to do something, the Spirit of God within us wells up to do something? (sighs) I don't, uh, that sounds hard. And we don't do it. We don't take the step. Nehemiah takes the step. He takes the initiative. And as followers of Jesus, we need to be willing to take the step. As followers of Jesus, let's take the initiative to bring restoration to our broken world. Let's be a church, a people that are are willing to step into this world. Let's continue to be a church that's on mission to to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Let's continue to be a church to to make that statement real that we keep saying that we want to see the, the joy of heaven to invade the sadness of earth. That's the kind of church we want to be. That's the kind of people we want to be. We want what we have to spill out of us and to inspire others to see that there is hope in this world. There is a a, a better way to live this life. There is a hope of eternity in Jesus. And that's what we have to to bring. That's the big dream we have that we can give, the vision that we can give into somebody's life that is broken, that is hurting because of sin. We can introduce them to Jesus. And they can be a part of the dream. But before we can step into the brokenness of this world and make a difference in this world, we have to deal with the brokenness that's inside of here. And I know listening today, there are many of you that, that you've dealt with the brokenness. You understand your sin. You understand grace that God has given you in Jesus, and you've grabbed hold of that. And you understand every day is a day to get up and, and, and really continue on in the rebuilding process that we're all in. But there's others of you that have never dealt with and owned up to the brokenness in you, the sin in you that that you know needs to be dealt with. And we come with a message today to say Jesus wants to take care of your brokenness. He's already taken care of your brokenness if you'll just step into him and receive it from him. And grab hold of the dream that he has for you. A dream for a better life. A dream for an eternal future. But maybe you're here today and your brokenness isn't centered around your salvation and your sin, but your brokenness is centered around your marriage. Or maybe it's centered around your kids. Maybe it's just centered around your life and your spirit and, and just the weariness that you're dealing with because of just circumstances in life and you just need to recognize that brokenness and let God step in and recognize he's got a better vision, a greater dream for your marriage. He's got a greater dream for your kids. He's got a greater dream for your life. If you'll just surrender it back to him. Maybe that's where you're at today. Wherever you are, 
our prayers that you'll hold on, grab hold of God's dream for you. And that every one of us will be restored, will rebuild, and together as a church, as a people, we can leave a place like this and we can say, let's rise and let's build. Let's go make a difference in this world. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, we thank you for the example of Nehemiah as we see him lead your people to rebuild the city, but there are so many applications far greater than just building walls and gates. But God, about, it's about rebuilding lives, rebuilding hearts. And God, if there are any that are listening today who know that they need Jesus and they need their life to be surrendered to you and to receive your salvation, God, may today be the day that that takes place. We, we rejoice in Estella and her step today, but God, we know that there are many others that need to take that step. So God, continue to move. God, as we leave this place, help us to be a people. Help us to be a church that, that steps out of here with that vision, that big dream that you have given to us to, to make a difference in this world, to take that initiative to step out and to recognize the brokenness, but not to be fearful of the brokenness, God, but to just step into it and see how you want to move in us and use every one of us for your purpose to make a difference in this world. God, use us as we step into this week. Wherever we go, wherever we find ourselves, homes, jobs, stores, ball fields, gymnasiums, God, wherever we find ourselves this week, may we step into those moments and those places and those circumstances with a vision of what you want to do in us and through us as we share your love with the world around us. God, we love you. Thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.